especially with our attention focused like this, we hear from God. <clears throat> I can't imagine anybody not wanting to hear from God. And so we are here. Amen. 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 Well, we have been in a series over the last few weeks about the parables. We're spending the summer in the parables. And I want to let you know a little known secret. Pastor Alex allowed several of us to choose which parable we wanted to present. And so I chose the parable that's not a story. Because I like to make up stories. Or more accurately, I like to allow God to live out his story in us. And we're going to do that this morning. So be prepared because this is not your typical sermon where one guy gets up here and bores you to sleep and then you go. You're going to have to be engaged in this. Um, that part will come up because I want to set the pace here. <clears throat> Let's look at Matthew 5, 14 and 15 together. Matthew 5, 14 and 15. It says this, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. We like, in America, we like to use that image. We use it in politics. We use it in church. We use it all over the place. We like the city on the hill, the shining, glimmering city on the hill. We think that we are that as Americans. But that's not what Jesus said. There was no America when he said you. There was only him and a handful of followers. That number has exploded. There are a lot of Jesus followers today. And every Jesus follower, when we get together, become that city, that city on a hill, that bright glowing light. Or at least that's God's plan. Show of hands. How many have ever had an opportunity to say, and really meant it, that's just not right? You ever said that? That's just not right. Shouldn't be that way. Yeah? Somebody should make a rule against that. There ought to be a law. All right? We've all, we've all done it. We've all said it. When we do that, we recognize something. The world is not what it should be. The world is what it is. 
It's not what God made it. It's what it became after God made it. When we do that, we reveal something about ourselves. We reveal that we long for something. The kingdom of God. We talk about it a lot around here. We really do. We talk about the kingdom all the time. When we pray, we pray for the sake of your kingdom. When we talk, we talk about mission. We talk about our king. We talk about what it means to have been saved by our king. That's also an image that goes deep into our roots, into our psyche, into who we are. We like a king who is a conquering hero, who sets his people free from oppression. Yeah, we speak about it a lot. We pray your kingdom come. We pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Sometimes we talk about the kingdom and heaven in the same breath, as if they're the same thing. And even scripture does that, speaks of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Without making really any differentiation, it just is there. When we say these things, though, what do we mean? The kingdom. The kingdom. More important, when the Bible speaks about the kingdom, what does it mean? For example, when John, the baptizer, or Baptist, before there were any Baptists. When John was baptizing, he preached this message, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Literally, near. The kingdom of heaven is near. When Jesus started his ministry, he took up the exact same words and said, Repent, for the kingdom is near. He had a slightly different perspective on that than John did. Jesus' perspective was, I am the king, and now I'm here. And so the kingdom is here. Principle, something we can walk away with. The kingdom is where the king is present. When the king is present, the kingdom's here. That's what John was saying. The king is here. Actually, Jesus was completing part of a story. He was completing a story that had been told from the earliest days of Israel about how God created everything and created man to live in harmony with God, with God as authority over him, God as king. Man, however, in Adam went the wrong way, and the world became what it is now. However, it was always promised from the earliest days of the nation of Israel, always promised that God would one day restore his reign and rule on the earth. 
and that he would do it through a nation. Moses came along and gave the law, and the nation of Israel was begun with God as her monarch, as her king. Eventually, he led his people into the promised land where they flourished for a while and diminished for a while and then flourished for a while and then diminished for a while and then turned back to God and flourished for a while and then turned away from God and diminished for a while and that pattern went on and on and on until finally the people came to the prophet you can read this in the first chapter of Samuel people came to the prophet and said we want a king just like the nations around us have kings. Samuel was very distraught, and he went to prayer. God said, don't worry, Samuel. They're not rejecting you. They are rejecting me as king. God's very next words to Samuel were, tell them, how bad it's going to be that their ideas are all wrong. But they demanded a king anyway, and so they got a king. That king was Saul, who taxed them heavily, took their wealth, took their sons, made them into soldiers, took them off to battle, got a bunch of them killed, just as Samuel said when God told him, tell them what it's really going to be like. I'm pretty sure that nobody in Israel who asked for a king thought that it would go that way. They probably ended up going through their lives going, it shouldn't be like this. It's just not right. Somebody should make a law. Somebody should make a rule. Fortunately, the story goes on. Uh, the people became more and more and more rebellious against God. And finally, he got so ticked off about it, he wiped them off of their own land. That's better, right? No, that's not better. What is better is that he promised to go and get them, bring them back, restore them to their land, and provide for them a king. So when Jesus came along... And said, repent. The kingdom is here. What he was declaring was, the story you've been waiting for the conclusion to, this is the point. This is the climax. This is the pinnacle of the story. The king is here. And Israel seemed to recognize that on Palm Sunday when they threw straw on the ground in front of the donkey and said, Hosanna. Oh, save us. Hosanna to he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Save us. And so Jesus went about saving us. His coronation happened on a cross. was no crown of gold. It was a crown of thorns. 
He didn't wear a royal robe, though he was mocked for it. He was stripped naked and conquered on the cross. In between those things, he told us parables. Interesting things about the kingdom. He taught about the kingdom. And after the resurrection, the book of Acts tells us, he came back and taught us many things about the kingdom. It's all about the kingdom. That's the focus of the story of Israel, of the story whose culmination and pinnacle is in the person of Jesus Christ, the king, who, when he came, brought with him the kingdom. For where the king is, the kingdom is present. And when we look at the parables, we need to remember some things. That these are just parables. These are not definitions. These are parables. A parabola focuses light in one direction. The parables are intended to focus us toward heaven. But they don't tell us all the details. When it says the kingdom of heaven is like a field with a pearl in it, it doesn't mean that you can go out into the kingdom of heaven and find pearls. No, it's more like, well, whatever the correct application of the story is for the situation you find yourself in. So when we look at the parables, we must remember that these are just parables. Some of them are stories, interesting stories, compelling stories, but some of them are just metaphors or similes, like the one today. You, that's you all together, it's not You individually are the light of the world. No, it's you together. That's a plural first person. You, all of us together, we are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. So a parable might be a story, but it might just be a quick statement that reveals some unseen truth, like a simile or a metaphor. In fact, That's just what this parable, do you remember this parable? This parable is, you are the light of the world, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do men light a lamp and place it under a basket. But they put it on the lamp stand, that it might give light to all who are near. So I'm going to talk about this this parable for a minute. And then we're going to explore the meaning and the application in our daily lives. Or as Pastor Alex says, so what? Or as so what? Um, Here's the setting. By the way, this parable told in Matthew chapter 5 is repeated in Mark's gospel, and twice in Luke's gospel. And it seems that each time it's told, it's a slightly different setting, but all very similar. Jesus took over the course of his ministry several opportunities to be able to use this 
metaphor of light and sometimes mixed salt with it. But in Matthew chapter 5, it comes in the Sermon on the Mount, right at the beginning, immediately after the Beatitudes. See, the context in which each passage uh, that Jesus taught this truth is in, um, several things were going on. It wasn't just a place where Jesus could find a crowd so that he could repeat the same sermon over and over again. Not by a long shot. Because what was happening in each of the situations is that Jesus either was in the process of or he had just healed sickness. He had just cured disease. He had just restored the lame to full health. He had just cast out demons or restored mental and emotional stability to people. So when Jesus came along and he's telling us the parables of the kingdom, he is doing it in a context in which great power is being displayed. The power to heal sickness, to even correct birth defects, to cast out demons, to restore people's emotional stability. See, in the Beatitudes and the parables, the character and the nature of the kingdom are revealed by the king. The king is telling us, this is what the kingdom is like. The character of the citizens of the kingdom is, blessed are the, what? Remember any of them? The meek. The what? Poor in spirit. The peacemakers. Those who mourn. Right, all of these things. Jesus is saying the characteristic of the people of the kingdom is that they make peace. They're peacemakers. They're meek. They're humble. They mourn when things are wrong. They don't just stand there and go, this isn't, shouldn't be this way. shouldn't be this way. There should be a law. Somebody should do something. No, the character of the people of the kingdom is that they do something. We do something. And in the stories, there's a lot of them, right? The pearl, great price. There's the dragnet, where the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet. It drag it through the sea, and whatever it picks up goes in there. And then they sort it out. Um, Any others you can remember? The kingdom is like a landowner who went on a trip, right? He left his people in charge. I mean, there's all kinds of things. As Jesus is telling these parables, these stories that reveal the nature of the kingdom, what he's saying is that virtue is expressed in the attitudes and behaviors of the people and the values of the kingdom are revealed 
through the relationships of one thing to another. The landowner to his stewards, the stewards to their responsibilities, etc. I'd like to point out that in Matthew 5, 14 and 15, as I did already, that this message, this time that Jesus used the image of light, you are the light of the world, you corporately are the light of the world. He did it at the beginning of the Sermon Mount, immediately after the parables, I'm, I'm sorry, immediately after the Beatitudes, this is the very next thing he says. So the process is, in the kingdom, the people of the kingdom exhibit these values in their life. And you are the salt of the earth. If the salt is made has lost its saltiness, it's worthless. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. In Mark 4.21, Jesus uses the same image in a parable, just a metaphor of what the kingdom is like. But this time, he's teaching near the sea. So he finds another opportunity to present this same truth. In Luke chapter 8, verses 16 through 18, he's in... We don't really know where for sure, but in Scripture at, at, at Luke 17.1, it says they went back to Capernaum. So we think because it's the same narrative, he's back in Capernaum teaching the same thing. You are the light of the world. And it's another setting similar to the Sermon on the Mount where a crowd gathers around and Jesus takes the opportunity to teach. In Luke 11, verses 33 through 36, there's another teaching opportunity, and Jesus is holding a set of conversations with the people in the crowd and comes to a point where he can utilize this image again, this metaphor, you are the light of the world. Men do not light a lamp and stick it under a basket or under the bed. No, they put it out on the lampstand. Interesting, these four different uses of this metaphor, you are the light of the world, Jesus ends each one slightly differently. For example, in Matthew, he says, let your light shine in such a way that people may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So the fact that we are the light means that we display good works. And as we display the character and the values of the kingdom, people see that. And they ask the question, why different? And they come to the conclusion, God. Because the kingdom is manifested where the king is present. 
So if the kingdom is manifested, I believe it's the Holy Spirit who directs people to recognize that and say, wow, that's God at work. In Mark 4.21, when he's by the sea, he ends the, right at the end of the, uh, the uh, metaphor, you are the, the light of the world, he ends it this way, for nothing is hidden that will not be revealed. In Luke 8, 16 through 18, this is critical, I think, as he says, you are the light of the world. And then after he goes through that whole thing about not hiding it under a basket, he says this, be careful how you listen. Be careful how you listen. let that soak for a little while because we're going to come back to it. And in Luke 11, he ends it this way. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is dim, not good. Your eye should be clear. So, all of that is well and fine. It's all interesting facts that we can gather up, put in our pocket, lock it away in our memory banks, walk out of church and go like, I was uplifted today because I learned something. But I say, we need to be careful how we listen. Because a lot of times we listen with the intent of locking it away. And you don't put the light under a bushel. Most of the little lamps were kind of like personal flashlights. Almost like a liquid-filled candle. In Jesus' day, it was basically a little clay vessel with a hole in the top, a place for oil, and a spout with a wick in the end of it. And you could hold it in your hand. And when you lit the wick, it produced light like a candle. And the lamp stands in Jesus' day were typically a piece of board or rock stuck into the wall, making a shelf, a little tiny shelf. So you could take your little candle, your lamp, and put it on the shelf. And three or four or five, depending on how big the room is, just around the perimeter, allowed light to shine into the room. That's important because that's what Jesus said. He didn't say, you are the light of the world, this little light. What he said was, you collectively are the lights in the room. You collectively. We together are the light of the world. You don't light it and put it under the bed, which is over in the corner of the room. You can't get under the sun. You don't light it and put it under the bed. You don't cover it with a bushel. You put it on the lampstand where it's going to do some good. So here's Jesus. He comes along at the beginning of his ministry and says, Repent, the king is here. And he started something. Repent, for the kingdom is here. 
The kingdom is here. Why? Because the king is here. And where the king is, the kingdom is present. So he came along and and he started these fires in us individually, which collectively are the lamp that lights the world. Now, just one of us cannot light the world. But when he has multiplied us and we are everywhere, like these little lamps that were everywhere, everybody had one, when we are lit by Jesus and we all are exemplifying the character, the values, the virtues, the nature, the character of the kingdom, then the world is lightened. So what? I want to ask you, and this is where I need you to join me in creating this message. Let me ask you, how is it that we are light in the world? Now, you might think about yourself, but don't necessarily think only about yourself. Look around you. Identify different sources of light. I will not say points of light. So just identify different sources of light. Different expressions of the character and nature of the kingdom in people around you. Think outside this building to other Christians you know and tell me, how is it that we let our light shine? Ooh, speaking hope and encouragement. That's good. That's good because we are working together to restore hope to all people. So hope and encouragement is a good thing. Any others? In our actions, can you be specific? Tell me about some actions you've seen that reflect that. Help one another, okay? How we live. Okay, hold on to that doesn't display part because we're going to get there. But how we live should display the Lord, right? Because we are in the kingdom, and where we are, if we are in the kingdom, the king is present. Did you make that connection before? See, where we are, the king is there. And where the king is, the kingdom is on display. Any others, Deb? Ooh, excellent. Pray for your enemies. That's one of the things Jesus said to do. Is that countercultural? Yeah, that counters our culture. Pray for your enemies. Any others? Oh, when we forgive. 
The kingdom is on display in our lives when we forgive. Okay? Any others? How else is the kingdom on display? In the lives of the citizens of the kingdom. Reach out to help. Ah, all right. And, and ultimately what I think I hear you saying is when you don't have what it takes, you do it anyway. That's great because that's the real point. Right? That's the real point. The point is the virtues, the values of the kingdom, it's not in us. It's not who we are. It's who our king is. And he has the resources when we don't. The kingdom is on display when the king is on display. This is just minor little variations in that theme, but all true. Anything else? What is it that, let me rephrase the question. What is it that Jesus does through Christians that put him on display? Caring for the poor. That's a huge one in Jesus' economy. Others. Showing love. Putting just care for others on display. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's the king on display. In house, how in our relationships? Um, you know, whether it could be a friend or family, and when people see people living together in harmony, how do you keep loving through? Yeah, you know how different it is, Jesus said about it. This is how everyone will know you are my disciples, because you love one another. Right? That, is that the same thing? Is that possible for us? We can't do that. We don't even like each other sometimes. Sometimes. We do things that gets on each other's nerves. You don't believe it? Put seven people in a cabin for a week. You, see? That's as, that's as deep as I'm going into that illustration for you. So you're safe now. <clears throat> no, it's not in us to love each other well. We are concerned about our own self. I'm concerned about my welfare. I don't have what it takes to love you enough to sacrifice my children's food. So when it happens, it's not because we're so great. It's because we have a great king. It's because we have a king who can... Well, like we started out with, instead of saying it shouldn't be like that, we have a king who can make it the way it should be. What else? What else? How else is the king on display in the lives of, of Christians that you know? His people, kingdom people. Go ahead, Pat. Ooh, yeah, right. We bear one another's burdens. We do for one another, and we uphold one another, we carry each other's concerns to the king and say, 
We don't have the resources. You do. Excellent, excellent. That's a nuance, but it's right. It's right there. Go ahead. When we display patience for one another. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, there's too many times I want things done my way and my time, and God's working on somebody. You have to allow him to provide through the king into the life of that person the way the wise king understands, not the way I think. What else? Go ahead, Craig. Yeah, when things aren't going right, we trust him because we, again, you know, don't have what it takes. And he does. Excellent, excellent. Others. How long could we go on? We could go on all morning, couldn't we? I mean, there are uh, every situation you find yourself in, every opportunity there is to be poor in spirit, every opportunity there is to be a peacemaker, uh, all of the Beatitudes, every opportunity gives us another, and every opportunity multiplied by the different number of possible settings in which to explore those things or which to express those things, every one of those offers an opportunity for the light within us to shine. The light within us doesn't shine unless the king is there. Because the light is of the kingdom. And the kingdom is on display when the king is present. Okay, let's go to the other side. This is where we need to be careful how we listen. Because Christians do things sometimes that result in the light going under the bed. Or Christians do things sometimes that are a basket that hide the presence of the king. So what are they? This is the negative side. But I promise we're not just going to end on a downer. Okay? So what is it that you've seen in the lives of people of the kingdom that puts a basket over the light of the presence of the king. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Here we are boasting, right? We have all the resources of heaven at our disposal, and there's a need. It's just too overwhelming, I'm too busy, I have other things to do, and I walk away. No compassion, no grace, no mercy. Yeah, that hides the light. Good point. Uh, Any other things we do? By the way, this is confession. You don't have to confess for yourself. Got that? I'm not asking you to reveal your deepest failures. What I'm asking is for us, because Jesus said, you are the light of the world. So when we fail, we have to confess that. So 
I'm not asking for your deep confessions. I'm asking for how do you see Christians failing? How do you see Christians hiding the light of the kingdom rather than putting it on display? Because what we're going to do in a minute is we're going to pray about these things together. We're going to confess them. Go ahead. Mm. the kids, and I'm really bad at most mm. everything except algebra. And we get, we're up to high school, and I'm homeschooling the kids in algebra, and I get the algebra curriculum for algebra 2, and it doesn't come with a solutions manual. And for anybody who does algebra, you know that's a very important thing to have. Mm. And Ra- Rachel and I were worried how the year was going to go, and I had the chance to worry, or I had the chance to trust. And so I said to Rachel, I go, you know, Ray, God didn't call us to homeschool the kids. We have to trust him. And so regularly throughout that year, we had to bow our head and pray and ask the Lord to help us understand the solutions and how to get there. Mm. And the Lord came through. But I need to tell you, the thing that I think happened was I got this, Lord. I understand algebra. I got this. Mm. Okay. And then he showed me that I did not have it. Mm. So I think our self-effort, mm. our, we, we start out, yes, Lord, help me, help me, and then we get in a groove and we, we just do it by ourselves. And then he shows us that we were doing it all in the flesh. So... If I could kind of distill that down into the basic things there, are you saying that when we become overconfident in our abilities, instead of allowing the king to put himself on display, that puts a basket over the light? Okay, true, true. Yeah. Yeah. When we're weak in faith, what does that boil down to? That boils down to if we don't actually trust God to do what he said or provide what he said he'd provide or to keep his promises, that puts a basket over the light. Okay. I get that. That's right. Any others? Ooh, when we trust our money and not God. Wow. That's really really a powerful one in a culture that says, God will bless you with financial well-being. Yeah, that's... How do we unpack that one? That's, That's a tough one. But you're right. When we trust anything other than God... The character and nature of the kingdom is not on display because it's not of the king. Dave, what were you saying? Ooh, when we condemn others. Uh, Yeah. Wow. Oh, when we don't pray, we put a basket over the light. 
Okay, I get it. So I took these ideas and I tried to distill them down to a simple thing, but I'm going to take yours and blow it up into a big thing. Because what I think you, I hear you saying is that when we look like the world, we don't look like the kingdom. And that puts a basket over the light. Yeah, absolutely. And that goes in every area of our life, right? Trust, our preferences, the choices we make for entertainment, um, who knows what else? All kinds of things. Very good, very good. Any other things that put a basket over the light? Fear. Whoa, there's an intangible. All these other things, we could talk about what we do, but you say, fear. And I have to go like, ooh, that's like a characteristic of my personhood. Wow. So there's an open door right there. Identify other characteristics of personhood, of humanity. But you're exactly right. You know, when fear prevails, the resources of the king are not on display. The character and nature of the kingdom is hidden. Very good. Others? Unbelief. Read Hebrews chapter 4 and find out how big a deal that is to God, right? Mm. Any others? How about when... Uh, how about when we don't live up to our word? Ah, we express something other than honesty that kind of covers the, the light of the kingdom. Yeah, definitely. Exactly. Any others? Yeah, because Jesus' very first word in his public ministry was repent. Right? So we've got to turn away from that stuff. Turning away from all of these things are the character of the people of the kingdom. What else? What else? It's a good thing there's not a lot of people here because can you imagine how we would never finish this morning, would we? Uh, when we pick up discouragement and walk with it like a companion... Yeah, okay, good, good. That puts a basket. Because what it does is, it, it blasphemes the king. It says the king can't handle it. Amen. Okay, so here's what I want to do. We have ten minutes. Um, I want you to gather into little groups. And pray. We're going to pray confessing to God that this is 
This is what happens. But also praying that the king will make his resources known and available and that we will pick them up and put them on display. Because I think we get it. You know, and I know we've heard this message a hundred times in a hundred, well, we've heard it a hundred times in about three ways. I wanted it to be different. I think it is. So just gather into groups of like four people, just wherever you are. Somebody get up and move, come over here. And in eight minutes, worship team, come back up. Only one person, trust me. Oh, one person, you got it.